Okay, what up, light listeners? Welcome to another show, episode 47, or I think we can just call it a show, um, <laughs> with myself, Ben. And yeah, as usual, we were uh, shining a light on the news from the week, but I'm pretty sure this will just be overtaken by one main news story. So um, how's your week been anyway, bro? Uh, it's been a busy week. Um, Brexit's taken over. Uh, um, as, I, as people, Listen, listen to me now. I work in financial services, so all week the whole of like uh, people on risk and and FM team and all those people have been looking at the um, looking at the the news and looking at how it's affecting the stock market and how the sh- how the currency just dropped. So I think I think was it on Tuesday it was one fifteen to the euro on pound is one one euro fifteen to the pound, and now it's like one thirteen, which is just like dropped two points, which is crazy. And <laughs> soon enough it'll be part on par. It's just mad. This week's a mad week. Yeah, it's pretty crap, man. I'm going to the States next week, so <laughs> it's not, I'm not happy with the broken currency. Mm. If you had, if you if you had been a mystic mystic Ben, you could have then um, bought a um, couple, couple of euros um, dollars a few weeks ago. To be fair, um, it doesn't really make any. I mean, look, the the, the currency is just going to fly around. Um, and be super volatile until they get something sorted. So it doesn't, doesn't really make much difference to me, I guess. The funny thing is, what happened was that, um, so if we, if we get into it, the funny thing with the, um, the exchange rate, when, when, it, when, when it was announced that they had agreed, had come to an agreement with Europe over the Brexit plans, the pound actually surged, the markets went up. And then when people read, when, when the following day, when people um, saw the, the backlash from it, the pound has spiraled. <laughs> well, yeah. that, that doesn't surprise me. That was itself. So, um, so where, where, where do we, <laughs> where do we even start? So, start at the beginning of the week. So, at the beginning of the week, um, three. I think it was announced on Tuesday that they come to an agreement with um, with Europe, and they agreed a, a a deal that they would present to the cabinet, and then before they present to the cabinet, and then to present, present to Parliament. So it's Tuesday, um, Tuesday night, wasn't it? The draft Tuesday, bill came Tuesday up night, with, yeah. and then yeah. the five hundred eighty-five page draft bill, um, and then on Wednesday, what they were in, um, she had her cabinet in for like seven hours. Was it five? No, it's five hours. Five yeah. hours in intense and intense talks, um, as they put it, and then yeah. came out with, with well, the proposed cabinet backing. However, flip forward 12 hours and not so much the cabinet backing, given that I, I was sitting at work and literally all that BBC News was popping up with, Dominic Rab, uh, Adrian Rab resigns. And then, um, and then who, who went after that? Esther McVeigh? Yeah, Esther McVeigh. And um, so Dominic Rab and then Esther McVeigh. And then you had other people just resigning left, right, centre. You, then, you had, <laughs> then you had the shambles in, in, in Parliament with Rhys Mogg coming out and saying that he's um, signed a letter of no confidence for her who's shamelessly trying to take advantage of this it's, um well, well uh, but it was always going to come but everybody was everybody was seeing when they were going to play the cards so so what they need to so just just to clear up for people so reese mogg well actually he's rose in parliament if what she's if my um learned colleague or however they refer, refer to it um no longer acts in the same way that she says, or I can't remember his exact words, then maybe I should write a letter to my colleague, Graham Brady. Now, Graham Brady is the chairman of the 1922 committee and basically looks after 
who represents the Tories within Parliament. Um, mm -hmm. So if he receives 48 letters, then it automatically triggers a vote of no confidence and yeah. a vote for her leadership, basically. Um, at the moment, 21 people, I think, have come out and said that they have submitted a letter. It's expected that the number is above that, but the rest of them, for, for re pretty relevant reasons, have not come out and actually put their names by it. Um, so it's unclear. I mean, she was questioned this morning on Sky News as to whether the 48 letters had been reached, and she said she wasn't aware. Uh, apparently, Graham Brady has also not shared the number of letters received with his wife. I'm not sure mm -hmm. how relevant that is. Um, I would envision, though, well, it seems to me that it's likely that it would be reached at some point this week. Yeah. The only, the, only, the only thing I say with that is that I think she'll, even if she has, they have a vote of no confidence and, they, and someone challenges her, for her, they have to find someone to challenge her. And it's Reese Mark. I don't think Reese Mark has enough um, support in the party to go against her. Also, um, whoever whoever wins Brexit, whoever um, takes over the, the, the Tory leadership, they'll either do either two things um, at the moment. So what's, since Brexit, since this thing's happened in a week, Labour have opened up a four-point gap on um, the Tories on in, in lead in um, public opinion by by all the pollsters. They're saying Labour's four points up. So um, from, from all accounts, if the Tories then um, had a vote of vote for leadership, and then uh, then the, they couldn't get a, this, this, they couldn't get Brexit deal put, put through, and then had a general election. It's very it's very likely that Corbyn will win the, will win the general election, and then you have a Labour government, and it starts all over again. <laughs> you have to start the negotiations starts all over again. So so I, I think yeah, I, I, we probably need to step back. We probably just need to out. Yeah. Um, so so the problem well the, the problem with the leadership challenge, and we'll get on to the actual contents of the draft bill at the moment. It, it's actually more nuanced than that. So if she were to win the, the vote, then she can remain unchallenged for 12 months. <clears throat> now, wrapped alongside that is the, D, so the DUP play heavily into this, right? Because they are not happy with the agreement of which we will yeah. get into in a second. But if they then say that they do not agree and they no longer support the government, then the government doesn't, well, they've, they've lost their majority which means yeah. it automatically triggers a general election. Now, yeah. the problem with that is if that's likely to happen, then certain Tories will be looking at this and saying, well, actually, it's less about just Brexit now. It's whether I want Theresa May to lead our party in, in a general election itself, apart from the Brexit thing. So they're taking two things into consideration at the same time. Um, Again, the chance of a general election is something else to chuck into the mix because in the light of that happening, you'd have to assume, well, the EU have said that they would, in theory, put a, a freeze on the Article 50 talks. Um, yeah. So it's, it's all up in the air. I mean, and then Jeremy Corbyn has come out this morning and said, uh, to be honest, and this is why I don't think it's, it's, it's not a slam dunk that the Tories would win, sorry, that Labour would win if it went to a general election for simple reasons like this. He came out and said Labour could achieve a better deal even before Brexit. Well, that's nonsensical because we're already at the critical turning point and yeah. they've already put in an exceptional um, or an extraordinary summit 
on the 25th of November next week, by which time the deal should be signed. Now, if there is a general election, it's completely impossible for even the general election to be completed, everything sorted by March when we're supposed to exit, right? So to say that you could actually win a general election, get your proposal together, take it to the EU, the EU have already said that we are not budging on this now. This is where we've got to from the last two years of discussions, right? And then just, just to do the ultimate own goal, typical of Jeremy Corbyn, he comes out and says, I actually haven't read the whole draft bill yet. So then you can't come out and say, well, actually, Labour can make a better deal because you can't even share the details of how that would happen because you haven't even read the draft bill itself. So it's not for me an actual stand dunk that, that Labour would win simply because Jeremy Corbyn is incapable of leading a, a party or a country, in, in my opinion. Um, yeah. What I, what, I, what I would say about Theresa May is that she did come out with three, um, she gave the country three options. Which is the one, first time that she's done this, right? Yeah, she's given them three options. She's either said, you go with this draft bill, Brexit, you um, you have a people's, you have a second referendum, or you have no Brexit. Um, well, she, well, she didn't, no, she didn't say about a second referendum. She still hasn't oh, introduced that fact. Oh, she no, went, no, it's this oh, yeah. deal, it's this deal, no deal, or no, no Brexit. And yeah. That's the first time she's ever come out and publicly said no Brexit. She didn't kind of put it out there as an option, but she hasn't even allowed that to enter into statements she'd made before, which was was an interesting turn. Because of like, okay, so if we go, so let's dig into the deal, right? So the deal is so that um, it's five hundred eighty-five pages, like two hundred pages, two hundred plus pages of of that deal is based in Northern Ireland. Um, so it's the deal's main thing is that. We so her main points were um, no, no more freedom of movement, stay in the customs, stay in the customs union. Um, the EU EU has veto if we want to leave the customs union, so we can't just leave if we want to because the EU can veto it. Um, so and the deal in, in that sense, the deal is actually is kind of worse than than the deal we have now. So. so, so- so the, the problem with the deal, right, and, and there's, a, there's a reason. It was funny. I was listening to Brexit Cast yesterday, and one of the guys on there said that when, um, so when Barnier handed over the deal, the negotiated the draft bill to Donald Tusk, Donald Tusk basically came out and said, look, we knew from the beginning of this, it's a lose-lose situation, and this is just about damage limitation. Um, and then Barnier hands over the, the draft bill to him, and he's all smiley and happy, and they're both kind of getting a little smirk at this point because he's like, look, this is what you tasked me with. I've done my job. And then one of the guys in the BBC, because everyone was kind of silent on this, he, he looked at them and they looked like a, a kind of um, uh, just this happy couple. And he went, oh, and I heard him say that on the Brexit cast. And then I watched the video last night and actually in the live stream, you can hear, <laughs> you can actually hear as they're shaking hands, this, this voice in the background go, oh, <laughs> which I thought was quite amusing. But the reason that they are so happy, that Barnier is so smiley and happy about this is because the EU have come out with a better side of this deal, right? And mm. there are three, three things that, and just to be clear, I think what we have to be clear on as well is because what's maybe misunderstood is because the government are doing such a bad job of translating this to the general public is that the withdrawal bill simply outlined us being able to say, yes, we're moving on from the Article 50 um, to the transition period. And during the transition period is when you outline the future deal. And actually, there are points within this document that are starting to refer to. In fact, there's a section that that starts to allude to how the future deal would work. Well, 
when this then goes back to the 27 EU countries that are going to be reviewing through this rapidly, given their number of pages and they've only got a week to go, um, is the fact that they're not happy about the fact that there's now insinuations of a future deal. Because the reality of this is, is that's not the intention of this bill. And secondly, they're not privy to these negotiations. And arguably, Dominic Rabb leaven and I think this is an EU view, view as well, is that they actually don't care who the Brexit secretary is because the negotiation is going on directly between Theresa May and Michel Barnier and his, his close team of the EU, right? So they're like, mm-hmm. well, we actually care who your secretary is because as far as we're concerned, we're seeing all the calls being made by Theresa May. And herein lies my problem with this now. This is no longer about Brexit or coming out with the best um, outcome for the country. This is about Theresa May proving her will and resilience, which I will give it to her. She has shown a huge degree of resilience to get through just this week, let alone the previous months. Um, But this for me is now she is pushing the deal to say, "This this is me and my ego on the line rather than the best for the country. It's now Theresa May versus everybody else, rather than Brexit as a best deal for the UK. And that's what I don't like, because now she's just digging her heels in for proven face. And this is not a good situation to be in, because she's now saying, I'm holding all the cards in the negotiations here. You guys need to go with my deal. We knew this was going to happen anyway, that she was going to come out and say, it's my deal or no deal. We, we called that, everybody called that weeks yeah. ago. But it's now you versus me, not us, United versus the EU. And that is a distinct problem for me, not least the fact that we look laughable to anybody looking in from the outside. I agree. I, I, I think you're bang on. I, I totally agree with you. I find I I I found the the whole Brexit thing this week a bit exhausting. I, I'm not gonna lie. I every day you hear the news, the same the same um, Brexit pro Brexit um, pro Brexit MPs go on Sky News, go on BBC News, and say the exact same things over and over again. And some of it just disloyal, just, not just disloyal, just honest. I mean, there's love, there's a lot of dishonesty when it comes to around Brexit, and you like. At the beginning of the week, when when they were, when when I was watching the news, I've been at my mom's house this week, so I've had time to sit down. Normally, I don't watch the TV; I don't watch the news. I, I the way I find about the news is I do my own research and I I read through the papers and I read through internet stories and I get my own news. But today, I've, for the first time this week, I sat down and watched the actual cable news and Sky News and um, and BBC twenty four hour news. And the funny thing, at the beginning of the week, I thought um, I was looking at the public's reaction to it and I thought the majority if we had a, a second referendum this week you, you, people would be surprised I'd think people um, people would vote Brexit vote for Brexit because they're tired of it and um, just because you, you see like so in London we have this idea that people, um, everybody knows Brexit is a stupid idea and I would understand why people voted for it but if you, as soon as you leave London and you go outside of London you, you most people don't actually understand Brexit like that's the fifth, that's a, that's, a, that's the number one thing I took away from this week this week from watching the news is that the, the normal lay person does not get it because I like I was watching question time this week and one of the one of the, the um, um, what do you call it uh, one of the people in the audience, he said, "Oh, we so we we stuff we we got through the first world war, we got through the second world war, we'll get through Brexit." I'm like, how naive and stupid statement that is. That is your the world has changed. The world has changed so significantly. That's the that statement is redundant. It's like they don't they don't understand it. Like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll be, it'll be a few years of pain and we'll get over it. 
unlike me, you guys don't you, you don't understand how the world works anymore. You don't you also you don't understand Britain's position in the world anymore. It's, it's, the, the days of Royal Britannia's gone. <laughs> yeah, but so yeah, but can you blame? So I can't even argue that people in London know fully what Brexit is. The government don't know what Brexit is. I mean, Danny Dyer puts it in the best way. What nobody knows what the fuck Brexit is. is he puts it when he was interviewed. The bottom line yeah. is there's a 585 page document which outlines the our steps into the next point of discussion, which is the transition period, right? So yeah. nobody really knows what Brexit is, and this is herein lies the issue with the bill itself. So. She has claimed it will. We will take back our money. We will take back our borders. And what was her last one? There was three things that she distinctly promised that she would do. Um, we'll take back our money and we'll take our, back our borders. So let me just start with those two first off. So within the document itself. So basically, what they've said is right. We are going through a transition period, and that needs to finish by thirty first of December, twenty twenty. Okay. Now, there is an option to extend the transition period. Previously, she has said it would only ever be extended for a few months. However, it can only be extended once. Now, she says a few months. Within the document, it actually says that it will be extended. When it refers to the extension, it has 20xx by it. So that would suggest that people are open to the idea that this would be extended for years rather than months. Okay. Yeah. Now, here's where a problem lies. Because all of this is, is basically everything that we come up with in the future agreement needs to be agreed with the EU. Um, Theresa May and her team are being completely dishonest or making statements that they are, are trying to say this and that will happen, which the reality is, is they can't, they can't honestly give the assurances they will. So we have the p payments that we make to the EU of 10.9 billion a year, I think, which in a sense would make up this 39 billion divorce bill, right? Now, if at the end of the transition period, we have no deal in place, or we have to, ex and we have to extend it, we will go, she has said, we will no longer pay. Well, we will, because the rules are basically, whilst we're in the transition period, we are we are still within the EU, but we have no say-so in anything that's going on from laws to money to everything else that exists in there, right? We're just basically sitting there plumb, assuming that we'll get out at the end of the transition period. So if the transition period extends, then that bill increases. We're then in an EU where we have no say-so, but we're still <laughs> continuing to make those payments, right? Her saying yeah. we will no longer make the payments, well, that's a lie because the EU would have to agree to that and the EU are unlikely to say, the EU don't want this to extend, right? So why would they say, oh yeah, we'll give you the extension with the benefits of the actual Brexit? That wouldn't make sense to them, right? And then yeah. she says, we've got taken our borders back. Well, she can't really claim that we're taking our borders back because if we don't reach agreement by the, and I don't care, I don't care about the, the border issue, right? I think it's a naive reason to be making this decision anyway. However, if we then extend the transition, then the freedom of movement remains. So again, EU hold the upper hand in this. Um, and then you've got the issue of, the, of Northern Ireland, right? Now there's the backstop, which is the continual back and forth discussion that we've got here, right? But the backstop would in effect, and the backstop only takes effect if we don't come up with a trade agreement by the end of the transition period. But assuming that we don't, the backstop basically says that the EU, the, that Northern Ireland will remain within rules of the EU, um, not to the full extent, but more so than we would from the UK, um, well, from Great Britain, shall we say. And what that in effect does means that there would be, there would basically separate the UK. Northern Ireland would become 
part of the EU still until the deal is done, right? So that's why nobody wants the backstop to happen. But again, this is every decision that needs to be made in the future bill is dependent on the EU agreeing to it. Now, my vision of if we actually continue with Brexit, I, I envision that in November 2020, we will be in this exact spot that we are now, six weeks from the actual end of the transition period, and nobody has a fucking clue how they want the final deal to work out. Because in two years, we have not been able to establish a withdrawal bill that simply outlines how we will exit the EU. So I do not yeah. believe that in two years, when it's not clear whether there's going to be a change of leadership in the country, who, whether there's going to be a change of leadership within the Tory government, let alone the party that leads the country, that we will be able to iron out the intricacies of this deal. So I, I think that it will result in an extension of transition if we go forward with it. And if we do that, then we're basically, as I think as Ray Smog has put it before, and I rarely agree with him on anything, but we're basically just a vassal state within the, the EU. I know. Oh, that's the reason why I just do. I, 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 they still won't get voted through Parliament anyway. It's gonna get voted out. The Tories won't vote for it. So I, what I would, if I was Theresa, so if you, if I was Theresa May, what I would do, I would offer the, the vote back to the people. I'll say this is a deal we've got for you. This is the line outline we've got. This is the best deal you're gonna get from Europe at the, at the current time. We've we've tried to negotiate with them. It's the best deal we're gonna get for, get for you right now. You've got three options on the table. You've got a no deal Brexit which means that we walk away from Europe with no deal and we and people take the pain for it. We have this deal, Brexit, where it's the best deal I can get, we can get for you at this current time. Or we have a no Brexit. And, and we're saying, okay, so because we can't get the best deal right now, we'll have a no Brexit. Then, then whoever comes to then, that's, if it, that stabilises our economy for the next five years. And whoever then comes in, whether it's a Labour government or the next Tory Prime Minister, we can go, okay, well, we're going to do another referendum. And then, and I know we're going around in circles, but or we take that as a final vote and say, we've got these three deals for you. We've got this deal, it's the best deal we've got for you. We've got a no deal Brexit, and we've got a, 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 a um, no Brexit. And then the public decide. And then the public choose no deal Brexit, and then people lose their jobs. They, they leave, people lose their jobs. People lose... Um, UK, UK will have trouble with the border, and people take the pain, but we know that we voted for it. So it's not only one person's... At the moment, it looks like it's all Theresa May's fault. But this well, is, but this is, this is, yeah, but it is all her. This is the point. This is all her fault at the moment. I completely agree with what you're saying there. But the fact that she has now made this Theresa May versus the EU, rather than the UK versus the EU and reaching the best agreement, is why she is not putting this option out there. As far as she's concerned, she. And what's ridiculous about this is, and it really fucks me off, right? is when she's getting interviews, she's trying to speak passionately about what the people wanted and what to deliver for. Listen, Theresa May, you were a fucking Remainer, okay? So I don't mind if you're saying you need to do your job, but originally you wanted to remain, which means you have indications of why you believe that was the better thing to do, which means now you should be coming into this and going, well, my job was to come in and deliver a Brexit deal that actually, I, she didn't make the promises that were voted out, right? Nigel Farage did. Boris Johnson made all of these claims of this is how wonderful the world is going to be, right? There was even one of the MPs who said, I voted to leave before. If this was known at the time, I would have probably been a Remainer and I would be a Remainer if we said to leave now. Because the bottom line is, Brexit is only worth it if you could deliver the promises, the fake promises that were made in the run up to the referendum vote, right? So until she can remove it herself from being me against the world, and like I say, and, and my problem is she is displaying a huge level of resolve and resilience here, which 
in, in any other situation would be of benefit to us as a country that we have a PM who does have a high degree of resolve, right? However, she's cashing it in on the wrong fucking topic. And, and so yeah. I completely agree with what you're saying, but I just do not... And, and, and to, in fairness to the EU, they've basically said, look, up until the 11th hour, you can still come back to us and tell us you don't want to leave, right? So we literally have between now and March to say we want to do a second referendum. And it's easy enough to measure out the, the, the draft bill in simplistic form of this is what you get. Because nobody's going to understand the full bill, right? Nobody's going to take the time in the yeah. public to read through it. Um, however, you can outline the key points. And as as has happened this week, I mean, I think there was a... And the problem is, is I was looking at one of the things that is an issue, which is around fishing, um, funnily enough. And the EU still having the rights to fish around the UK because there's a big fishing market here, right? These are the little... The, and the only reason I say that is these are the kind of intricacies that need to be ironed out in the next two years. Not even the high-level shit that you need to get around. The lower-level detail like this. And so, I, I, again, I completely agree with you, but I think until she drops her ego on this and says, I'm actually going to do the right thing for the, the country, there and, and not the right thing that I have decided, again, she hasn't even done this with the party of people around her. She's basically doing this negotiation one-to-one herself, as far as I can see. On her own, yeah. She 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 she, she stepped her MPs uh, her cabinet. That's what that's what I think a lot of that's what Dominic Rabb said is, um, like the reason why David Davis walked away is because of at the last minute she um, went back to Brussels without telling him and then agreed to deal without without his say so. So the, the Brexit minute, Brexit secretary, um, David Davis, who was there before Dominic Rabb, um, he was effectively get, um, dealing the negotiations, and then she 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 went behind his back and usurped him, and um, and did the negotiations herself. And he left. He was like, "Well, this is not the checkers deal. This is not the deal I want. This is, I've I've been agreeing this deal for the last two years, and then you've gone to turn around and gone, no, I will go do this deal, and that's why he's left. And then that's why Dominic Rabb left. Well, yeah. Dominic Rabb, he, he was all he was he was there all but by he wasn't doing he, he was all there all by but by name because she was more or less doing all the negotiation herself. Well, it's interesting that the new uh, Brexit secretary that's brought in is only there to deal with. I was exiting now because, and again, the, the EU are very clear on this. And so everybody who's coming back and saying, yeah, we can negotiate a better deal. The EU aren't interested. They aren't interested in a better deal because this serves their purpose, right? And things like, and, and to be clear, for them, actually, the, the issue around Northern Ireland makes no difference. They actually don't care if the UK breaks itself up between um, the Northern Ireland and the rest of Great Britain. It doesn't make a difference to them. It's, it's us who are demanding that them, that must not be brought back and no hard border must exist, right? So for them, yeah. they've got the best of all worlds. So everybody coming in and saying, yeah, we can improve the deal. Well, the reality is you've had two years to do that. And what was interesting is there was talk coming out of the EU this week that there's been papers passed back and forth between the parties, i.e. Trying, trying to actually get to an agreement and... I think there was a statement that somebody said that the, the Great Britain seemed to be really taking this seriously, which is a bit worrying, right? It's to suggest what the hell have we been doing for the last 18 months? Um, but it was quite, uh, there was a statement from Dominic Rabb this morning as well, who said, we need to show our willing and resolve to be able to walk away from this and not to be bullied. I'm like, well, hold on, right? Um, I understand the reasons by which he left. He can't put this name, to, he can't put his name 
in a good conscience to this deal. But don't start talking about we can't say that we won't be bullied because, dude, this was your job for the last five months, right? It may have reached an outcome that you don't agree with, but you can't absolve yourself of complete accountability for that. Whether Theresa May was the one having the discussion, this was your job, dude. So I don't like him trying to absolve himself either. Um, but there is a, a, a context to that discussion where some people may be thinking, depends whether it's a cynic in you or a realist, is that the reason he actually left is, one, he can't put his name to that, and two, in having left, he can, in effect, put himself forward for leadership if they have a, a vote of no confidence power, which, in fairness, I mean, you say that nobody would take over, but it's very easy to get voted up for that, right? You just need two cabinet members to back you. So there would yeah. be quite a list of people, I think, who would be able to, to go up for that. Um, for me, the reality needs to be... I mean, I know I was a Remainer previously anyway, but the reality needs to be, exactly as you said there, the people's vote. Maybe if a new person comes up. But even Jeremy Corbyn came in and said, there may be a second referendum, but that's not for today. What, what kind of an answer? What, uh, answer a question, dude. Like, are you talking about we would stay in the EU and then there would be a second referendum on whether to exit? Or are you saying a second referendum on whether we actually Brexit or not? Because if there's no today, this, to, between now and March is not a long time. So if it's not today, then when are you expecting it to be? And this is why, for me, again, Labour being able to negotiate a better deal, that's not, that's not going to happen. And Theresa May has made a good point this morning when interviewed, saying, if you get rid of me, it won't help us get a better Brexit deal. I agree with her there, but getting rid of her may bring in somebody who may actually say we're going to actually push the second referendum and no Brexit actually will be a viable option on there. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mess. Um, I can't because this was so heavy to unpack. I actually I had to note down some stuff last night, uh, but I think I've covered most of the stuff in there so I think from from well for the next week what we're expecting is it was interesting as well I wonder if they'll actually so there's a two-day summit for where this should be agreed next week I wonder if she'll even be invited to both days because they've done this previously where she wasn't invited to the first day and I suspect that may happen next week as well where Barnier then needs to get the EU countries on board with this because again they haven't been fully privy to this Draft law. I mean, it be, to be honest, it will be voted through from their end because all it's basically saying yeah. is, is that and, until the UK can come up with a full detail for this, everything remains the same. We still get all the good benefits. They remain unable to bring any opinion or uh, challenge to the table. They would, so every, I can't see the EU teams would would push back. Um, but and then it will go back into Parliament, and obviously that. that so it will be the week after next where it will be country right because if it goes into parliament depending on who votes it down again if the dup for example said we're walking away then that would then trigger a general election so there will be this week that, that i think will be, be relatively in, quiet but that wouldn't be in the dp's best interest anyway because of um they they will lose the funding of the, that one that one billion that one billion pound funding that they're going to get i for, don't for, think that they, they would take that if the if the flip side of that is a hard border being introduced in Northern Ireland, because we have to remember that the the borders in Ireland are not merely about the how the economy works and how the customs um, trade works, right? There there is a deeper meaning behind the unity of the um, Northern Ireland and Ireland, and 
you know the history of violence there, right? So there's another that you need to take that into consideration that actually creating a hard border between the two could open up animosity between the two, um, which again is something they would take on. So I, I don't I don't think that plays on the DUP's mind. I, they're in a they're in a benefited position at the moment, right? Um, and for them, they may just think to themselves, "Well, do you know what? We got bought in before because the Tories needed to get something over the line." There's nothing to say that Labour won't need to, to get calling some help to get a majority. Therefore, they can come to us because we've shown that we're on the same side of the table as them. So I, I don't actually yeah. think that it's detrimental to the DUP if they walked away from this. It's interesting. Are we all, are we all Brexit? Well, we, 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 we kind of are, but there was an interesting. There was another story. I don't know if you saw it because I posted most of my stories last night. But hold on, I need to get his name because it, it relates to what you said earlier. Actually, um, so there was. I need to find his. He was a UN expert who came over. Um, his name Philip Alston. So basically, he travelled the country. He does this in many countries where they go around and they assess kind of the levels of poverty within the country. Um, so he came over here to do this, and I think somebody questions at the time, "Why are you coming over to one of the richest countries in the world to do this?" And his response was, "Well, the UK have backed us doing this in other places, so they can't really object to it being done at home." Um, but it was interesting. So when he's gone around the country, he has found that. He's being told by ministers, yeah, poverty is not an issue here and we're making great strides forwards. But when he goes out to the streets and the people, then he's seeing a distinctly different view of the world, right? Um, and they put the percentage in here. I think that he put that the... Well, it, it's very strange, right? Because the measure of relative poverty, okay, is is looks at the percentage of people living with less than 55% of medium income taken into account costs such as childcare, housing, debt, and disability, right? But the government do this by absolute poverty. Now, this count is the number of people in a household with less than 60% of the medium income as it was in 2010 and 2011. So it shows how living standards have changed over time. I don't understand why the government are using uh, a metric here that refers back to the world in 2010 and 2011, given everything that's changed over time. That feels to me like just a way of manipulating the figures. But some of the key yeah. feedback that he got when he was out there is that these people don't feel that the system is benefiting them. They don't feel that they're being listened to. And the reason that I bring that up is, is this is part of the reason why we are in this position with Brexit in the first place, right? Is because yeah. it's an objection vote rather than a vote for the actual outcome. Um, so I thought that was an interesting LinkedIn story that, that came in this week, but, to be honest. That point was brought up, uh, I think, I don't know, last, last week or week before, on, it's the same thing that like Donald Trump. It's more of the thing that, oh, it's not Donald Trump, it's, it's not um, last week, it's this week. Um, I've listened to a podcast with Joe Rogan, and um, I can't remember the guy he was talking to, and it was the guy referring to Steve, um, Steve Pinker's book, and saying that Steve Pinker says that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I and, uh, and, and, majority of people uh, so it's not in people's interest it's not in those people that want the people that want change it's not in their interest to tell people the truth that this is the best time it's ever happened so people that are dealing with racism black lives matter it's not in their interest to tell them that things have been pretty vastly since the 1960s it's not in it's not in lgbt gay communities um interest to tell tell people that um gay people gay people have, have been more sensitive in this, this in this generation far greater than any other generation throughout history it's not it's not anyone's interest to tell people that in terms of poverty, the world's actually got richer in the last hundred years. It's not, because if you, if you tell people that, then people stop 
will stop campaigning, will stop campaigning or supporting those groups as much as people want them to do. And and you, when you hear that, then you understand why people, when like um, when people people feel things when it when you, when you look at the, what the what what's on the on the economy or what's being reported on the on the economy, it's a different picture. So in the economy, it says that the UK's economy is kept on growing. Um, debt, although they, the the Tory government has spent a lot of money. The debt's actually shrinking compared to other compared to France and um, in 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 Europe itself. In the UK's government, UK's economy is only second to it's only it's only second to Germany. Um, it's better. It's, it's, a, it's a better economy than Macron's France. It's better. It's a, it's a much better economy than Italy and Spain. Um, but but what people feel is totally different to what what's actually happening. Well, and I, what people experience uh, is different to the numbers. I would argue. I'm, I'm... Yeah, yeah. Okay, but then, but then also that there's because people believe, because people are told that it's getting worse and like you hear knife crime and all the things that are getting worse. There is this element of people wanting to want to burn it down. We're not being listened to. You're not listening to us. I've told you I've got problems in in, in the northeast. I've got problems in in the south of America in um south in the south of America in rural west mid uh, middle west America. I've got problems in the north of England. And you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. Burn it down. Burn it down. Um, start again. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, but I'm not sure. And none of these people are doing burn it. So you need to be careful there, right? Burn it down is what right. Well, burn it down is right. It's in the streets, not voting a different outcome. Yeah, when, I, when, I, when, I'm, when I mean burn it down, I mean, do you, do, I'm, I'm talking like Trump. I'm talking about. Um, you can't wrap in the two, the two discussions. Okay, so finish and I'll give you my point. What I'm saying is that I'm talking about Brexit. I'm talking about Trump. When I say that, I'm talking about. Um, in regards to um, in regards to Trump, I'm saying people wanted to wanted to change, and they wanted to they wanted to get rid of the old system of doing things. And Trump signified the change because he didn't come out, he didn't come from the established order. And then um, when it comes to um, when it comes to Brexit, people a lot of people voted not because of they voted as it's kind of like um, you know listen to us. I, I now I just want I just want I don't care what happens. I just want and you guys can hear me out. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, when I say burn it down, I don't mean like anarchy. I mean, it's like a protest vote. No, 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 I get that. But burn it down is a strong word to use for people who are just coming up with a, a vote. I get where you're coming from. I don't know. I know you don't literally mean burn it down. Um, but yeah. I also don't... So, so, so the Trump thing, I get it. But to be honest, part of this is, yes, they want to be heard, but we also have to factor into this the advertising campaigns that went on. Trump... Trump spoke to a populace that exists in the US, right? He just did, and he had a better marketing campaign. <clears throat> Brexit was slightly different in that they spoke to the populace who weren't being heard, and then they made up, they just made completely fake and fabricated promises, right? However, what you're saying about the economy and the numbers and what people feel, you can't take away from the fact that, and actually what's worse is is, is the numbers, right? Because ministers are saying the numbers support the fact that poverty, poverty is get better. We can't take this as a reflection of Stephen Pinker because the, the points that are being made with people who are in relevant poverty here, are you living under 70 pounds a week? That's a legitimate thing, right? Now, regardless yeah. of how you used to live 40 years ago, they are seeing that we live in a world where, yes, in fact, it, it's worse because they can see that there are people who are better off who are able to live on more. Now, there will be a number of reasons that contribute to this, right? But the fact of the matter is, is the ministers are saying, this isn't a problem. You're, you're fabricating these numbers. The people on the ground are feeling the pain. Therefore, the numbers are massaging the situation in order for the government to say, well, actually, we still don't need to deal with it. They're not, they're not learning their lessons. 
They are they are still coming out and saying, hearing hearing a feedback from a UN um, specialist who's come in and gone around and checked this out, and their response is basically, you're making it up, it's not a problem. So now when this goes out online, and these people who have been interviewed are reading this, it, it further builds their view of they're not being listened to. Again, this is just constant own goals by an incapable government for me. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. Good week for you guys. It's been a horrible week for people in paradise, in paradise, in California. Um, this week with, with the forest fires continue to burn. So thousands, thousand people have gone missing in, in uh, California, and so the death toll is at seventy-one. Um, well, well, they they do put a caveat around that that that's a dynamic list, and so they think that some of the names will be duplicated, some of them will be people who aren't missing, but they just don't. Cause it only takes one person to report someone's missing, right? So they think there's going to be people on that who aren't actually missing, but they don't realise that someone's looking for them. So that that's where they've got it on, but they have kind of suggested that they don't expect the number to be. As high as that, I think it's actually up to 1,200 now. I was looking at it from this morning. The death toll is 76, I think. I was just looking at an update on it just before um, the show started because Donald Trump has visited this week, hasn't he? Um, yeah. After he's, he's a lot messed up comments before. Yeah, last week he, he came out and said that the, it, um, the issue was down to poor planning and then this week he's come out and said there's no way they could have forecast how bad it was going to be. Yeah, he softens his... I mean, I don't know if someone's spoken to him. And again, I don't know if this is a result of the outcome of the midterms, but he took a different stance on emphasising how terrible it was. I think the local governor there said this is a time for us to work together. I think this seems to to be um, in some way related to the outcome of the midterms and that where there is public opinion on view, he's going to need to soften his stance now. Um, one, to, one, he still needs to stay with his side, right? But stuff like this is not is neither going to alienate his current voters or not. But he can alienate people who are viable voters by taking the wrong stance on it. Um, so this seems like a, a replica of how. He, but there was something. There was a stance he took on something last week as well, which was, which well, it was in the the press conference he gave, wasn't it? Where he was kind of more relaxed with the media. So I think this is. Um, something we'll probably see a, a trend of. But yeah, it's, I mean, I think rain is expected to come next week in California that could help to put this out, but it's just it's staggering. Uh, I mean, I can't remember. There was a different... There was a, Did you hear the... It's not related to this, but did you hear the podcast with... Um, is, it, is it something Edgerly? I forgot his name. Is it Ross Edgerly? Huh? Did you hear Joe Rogan's podcast with Ross, Ross Edgerly? Uh, how, how do you look like? <laughs> uh, Ross Edgley is a guy who, who swam around the UK but basically what he was saying is so he swam around the UK but he's like nature doesn't care he's like I could be battered and bruised but nature doesn't care and it's kind of the similar thing here right just nature doesn't care for you like, because the winds can change and that can take these kind of fires in miles and miles of direction and, and as brutal as it is nature just is unforgiving in that, that instance right so I, I whatever uh, Donald Trump has said before I think just the nature of the environment they have in California means that they are unfortunately hugely vulnerable and susceptible to this. But then, why I don't understand, and maybe I'm being really naive, is that in 2018, don't we have, shouldn't we have the technology to be able to fight these forest fires? Well, like, not, have... not really, because you can't stop the wind, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it, I'm naive. It's like, I'm like, 
a fire's a wind's blowing it this direction. It keeps blowing it in that direction. And it changes direction. How isn't there a way we can like stop like because we know that oxygen fire needs oxygen to carry on. Is there a way we can stop the oxygen? Uh, okay, I don't you can't uh, stop the I oxygen because it's all outside. I get what you're saying, but there's no there's no way that that's what I mean. Nature's unforgiven. Fire is unforgiven. It will spread, and the wind will turn whenever it wants to. And so the firefighters can do what they want, but. Absent of being able to literally ex- export water out of the bloody ocean and drop it directly on this, which in fairness, you wouldn't be able to do in a, a significant enough amount. There's really nothing you can do because the Californian the Californian weather is just I mean it's just constantly blazing all the time. So unless you can find a way to keep the environment moist all year round, because that's one of these problems, right? Is they don't have enough rain to come in and help to stop this. So unless you can combat that, then you really can't stop the risk that this could happen on any given year. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a bad week for people in California. You know, I think in American politics, it's kind of quieted down since um, the midterms. Uh, there's not much going on in, the, in Americans, apart from apart from what's going on in California. It's really, it's really interesting that a lot of celebrities have lost their houses. So you had this week, you had um, Jared Butler losing his house. Um, you had, he lost his whole, like, his LA house was burnt down. Um, and Joe Rogan had some of his house burnt down. He's been living in a hotel for the past couple, for the past two weeks. Right, they're all, yeah, there's no, there's no getting, <laughs> there's no getting away from fire. They're just, Again, as far as the fire is concerned, it's just another household, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's been a it's been a bad week in America for that for that side of thing. And moving on, uh, looking at also the news. So there was a protest in it's a protest in France in regards to the to the um is it a fuel protest? Yeah, because the yeah, fuel well the well it's twofold. It's the fuel price, but it's twofold argument to it. So the fuel prices are going up just because of the cost of oil. Um, and then on top of that, Macron is introducing a green tax, which is going to put it up even higher. So there's basically just a backlash from from that. But I mean, in fairness, this is him delivering on what he said he was supposed to deliver on. But it, it's interesting because of the way that they are voted in, kind of the two plus one deal or whatever, um, the way that they approach um, voting in of their president is, he's actually, people seem to, uh, he's, public persona i don't think he's greatly liked over in france although some people like his policies um because when i was listening to this they were like public opinion of him is like i don't i think he's got like a 33 percent fan base over there um so so it's not it's not unusual and and we see these things right when people are this is something that hits home because it's one of those things where when the tax goes up you can't really get around it um unless you live in a city then you have to do a lot of driving and so these are the taxes that when it goes up it's not really an option of well, we're going to stop buying it. We have to buy it for our um, the wheels to turn on our lives. <laughs> Excuse the pun. Heavily subsidised compared to like the UK, where we pay a really high petrol prices. France don't t- don't tend to pay high petrol prices. Um, their petrol prices are much lower than ours. So this green tax is just them putting. It's more putting them on par of us. So I don't know why they're protesting for it. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's yeah, but that's not really relevant, right? Because. You can only you can only put it in comparison with what's going on in your own economy and your own lifestyle. It's not you don't compare it to well this this is how it runs in the UK because our economy is not is not the same as theirs. Um, so I, I get yeah. what you're saying, but it's not a valid comparison for them. What I mean, you know, it's <laughs> I think it's just a French being the French. I think sometimes the French people like it too easy, and they can't like 
that's how I see it. I don't know that like it's too easy. It's, well, I've, I've dealt with it. Um, whenever I deal with um, French companies that I've worked with in the past, or, or French um, branches in, our, in, in different places I've worked in, they're actually always different. <laughs> yeah, but we thing. throw up our we throw up our arms when uh, fuel prices go up too. Like I say, it's something that irrelevant the actual cost of it. It's something that hits home, right? We we do the same yeah. thing over here. Um, if it goes up, fortunately, I don't drive anymore. So, well, I can't drive. I just don't. Um, yeah. But I remember whenever I go past Sumi's, I'm like, geez, man! I remember when it used to be like ninety eight pence a liter, and now it's like one twenty eight or something. No, no, the funny thing is that. Um... When it, so at one point it was so when I, when I when I first started driving it was one thirty one on petrol and then when under the um the, I don't know it's under Gordon Brown or the under the David Cameron government they dropped um fuel they dropped the the fuel the fuel tax I think they dropped one of the taxes on the fuel and it dropped the prices down to like one one thirteen one twelve again and then slowly it's been going up and up. So what, what the way the way the Tory government I think it was the Tory government the way they did it is that they reduced the um, the tax on fuel and then they increased the tax on insurance. So that way they balance it out in the sense that people it's a, it's a psychological thing. So people thought they were getting cheaper on, on fuel, but they weren't because they were getting hit by by getting hit by insurance tax. So uh, that's how the, the Tory government um, it's like swings and roundabouts. That's how they balance it out because they reduce the tax on that. Now, 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 um, diesel's at one thirty three and petrol's at one twenty five. So petrol's not that bad, but diesel's just going to keep going up and up because they're trying to get people off diesel diesel cars. Um, like, uh, like that, would you would you go to, would you get a zip car if you needed if you needed a car? For a short for a short period of time, would you would you rent a car? Uh, yeah, that's what that's what I did. From as soon as I moved down here, I used to rent it because I still used to. Whenever I used to go home, I used to drive. But now I'm like, I just don't even need one when I'm back home, or whenever I used to go on a road trip or anything, I would just rent a car if I needed one here. Yeah. I never really signed up for Zipcar because I'm like, I can't envision I'm going to be going. So I'm going to have the time during the week where I'm like, oh, I just need a car for a couple of hours. I I, I live pretty centralized to London, i.e. I live just up the road from central London and I very, very rarely venture outwards. Um, yeah. It's nearly always me venturing inwards and people coming in my direction rather than vice versa. So it's, it's not, it's just not really a thing for me. Okay. Well, I'm moving on from there. So CIA blames Bin Salman. So MBS has been blamed for the death of Kashigi, which everyone did believe in the first place. So is this well, come out? God. The CIA blamed um, Mohammed bin um, Salman and said that um, it was under his uh, Mohammed bin Salman and it was under his orders that Kashigi was killed. Well, no, basically, so the US have actually come out and said actually, despite the CIA saying that they they can't conclusively blame him yet. And so the CIA, two and a half weeks or whatever down the line, after apparently the the files had been shared now, um, have basically said. We've, we've made no progress because actually they didn't even say it was made under his orders. They basically said the same thing as we said a couple of weeks ago, the same thing as everybody else said, is that this couldn't have gone ahead without his orders. I'm like, okay, so that's what you've concluded after your three weeks of investigation. Everybody else knew that in three hours of the bloody thing. So, um, yeah. yeah, they came out and said that, but then the, the US stepped back and said, actually, despite what they've said, we can't, we can't actually prove that yet. Um, it seems to just be a messy one, right? It's I don't, yeah. So it doesn't seem like they've actually made much of a route forwards, yeah. despite the fact the CIA came out there. Like I say, just be, merely because the US then counted back 
um, and said, actually, yeah, we, we can't quite prove that yet. Yeah. All right, and let's run through the stories. Uh, so staying with protests. So yesterday, you know, yesterday protests in London where they blocked off all the bridges. It was quite, it was quite interesting because it, it wasn't planned. So the local authorities didn't actually know about it. Normally, before, before, before you, before you do a protest, you let the local authorities and the police know about it. This time, this protest, as the protesters just turned up unannounced, and it was well, it was well organised, and they disrupted a lot of the, um, a lot of the bridges in London, which meant a lot of people had um, traffic delays yesterday. A few of my friends were complaining because they, they had taken the trip to go from north to south London, and 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 travelling by car, um, the only way to get to get over from north to south is to go either Hammersmith Bridge, London Bridge, or Tower Bridge. And they 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 blocked off all five bridges, which meant tra- traffic was horrible yesterday. It's it's very well organized. It's very well organized, right? But it's just I don't know. It's not it's for me. For me, the age of because somebody was asked about this, and they started talking about civil rights changes, and the rest of it all came from protests. Um, I'm like, yeah, but dude, they weren't people. The civil rights pro don't even bring that up because that they were violent protests they got to for good reason, right? But yeah. you're just going on standing around disrupting shit, right? And for me, it's just, I've mentioned this before, but it just they don't work. Like you get all these people to go away, and I understand people want their voices, opinions to be heard, right? But in a day and age where we have access to the world by the internet, social media, and access channels into um, people within the government. Um, is you you need to find a better way of protesting because or getting your message across because this doesn't do anything. You disrupted London yesterday, right? You pissed people off. You did it on the wrong week, to be honest, because the government only barely noticed this happened because of the Brexit. <laughs> right? They obviously didn't know that was coming. That's not their fault. Um, but all you've done is piss off Londoners. And there is I I've rarely I have not actually seen there was one guy who was referring to it because they were all referring to the the IPCC report that came out. Um, a couple of months ago now, which basically says we've got 12 years to make a change to the way that we consume um, energy and, and the way we use fossil fuels and basically the way we run things. Otherwise, we'll be at a point of no return from the environment. Now, it's not the first time I've seen reports come out and say this. Most of them have already said we're already past the point of no return, right? Now, now I'm not saying whether they're right or wrong. I'm not getting into the intricacies of that. Um, but that message was barely put across right in here. It's not clear to me on who they're talking to. One woman was interviewed and she was like, yeah, but we're one of the major countries of the world. We should be leading the way. What is it, what is it you want, love? What, and I'm not, and I'm not saying there's not valid concerns, but what is, it, what is it you want? What is it you are protesting for? What is the change that you want? Because all you're saying is we are not looking after the environment. We need to look after the environment. OK, you guys are saying that you know more about this than me, the average bystander on the street, right? Tell me what it is that you're protesting for the government to do differently. And there are valid things that they're asking for, like how we have the greenhouse emissions and the rest of it. Um, but that doesn't come across in these discussions. All, all we're doing is, I mean, there's a picture of an old guy doing a robot. He's basically like just having a good time here, okay? Now, I'm all for protesting if you're going to make it. Well, I'm not all for protesting. Like I said, it doesn't say, again, protests of this nature. I'm all for protests of um, points that you disagree with. But things like this, for me, they just, they don't work. It's, it's going to be forgotten by tomorrow. Everybody's going to go back to work in London. Things are going to operate as normal. Nobody's going to remember that it happened. I mean, it's, it's not healthy, right? Because it means that people may feel that they need to take a more violent approach. I don't think you're going to get that from environmentalists. But these things, they just, they cost money. They take up resource. They piss off people who haven't got anything to do with it. Are you like your friends trying to make it from North and South 
to London. And for these people who genuinely want a change in policy, you need to find a better way of trying to implement this rather than sticking people on five bridges. However well coordinated it was, which it was, it's just caused a lot of pain to people who aren't the ones you're trying to get your message across to here, basically. I, I agree. All right. Then moving on from there. There was one fun story of the war. It's not fun, but... Well, there's two fun stories actually coming out of Asia. Um, Not really fun, but one of them is. Um, So Japan Airlines cracks down on drunk pilots, um, which is is not funny, but is in itself at the same time. So, I mean, one of their pilots was arrested at Heathrow. He didn't cause an accident. Um, Nonetheless, it's there. So it appears that they have have, um, legal alcohol limits for you from a driving perspective, but not for um, pilots, which is very strange. Apparently, it's up to the airlines to determine alcohol limits for pilots on duty. Um, well, I would think this isn't that, that much rocket science. Zero. Fucking zero. I'm not interested in being on a plane with a pilot who's been drinking anything, let alone whether he's in a set limit. It's ridiculous. Like, where else can you go? Imagine you rocked up to your job and you went to your boss. What's the what's the limit by which you allow me to turn up into the office, have a drunk? Look, he'd be like, Josh, you can just empty your drawn out if you want. Look, what the hell? <laughs> uh, uh, it's crazy. It really, it really, it really is. And then the second story you had in Japan is was it that they've hired a guy to, to be in control of their um, of uh, computer virus? So they're yeah. yes, it's cyber security. And the guy did never use a computer. He's never, yeah, never used a computer, so, doesn't have one. Um, but the reason I put this on there, I just thought it was amusing at the time of, of Brexit going on and leadership of the country. Because he's a valid point. He's basically come in and said, I, my, my expertise is in managing and leading people. So therefore, um, from a point of kind of decentralized command, he's saying, I'm going to let the experts do what the experts are supposed to do. And I'm going to take the leadership and management role. I just thought to myself, well, that for me says, guys, for all of us out there in the UK who don't agree with what's going on, there's hope, right? If there's a general election and vote of no confidence, let's just put our own party forward and say, well, I may not know everything about being a prime minister, but I know how to lead people and I'll actually do the job of getting the right people in. So this for me, I mean, I might use this as backing for uh, if there's a general election, I'll go forward, vote none of the above. I'm telling you, I've said it before. <laughs> and, um another story from Asia in regards to China and China's coming out and taking aim at the US protectionism. So um, is his name Xi or is it Z? Um, I think it's Z. So he's come out and taken a, a, um, a, a swipe at um, Trump in regards to the trade war they're having and there'll be no winners. Um, which everyone said before um, an eye for an eye makes everyone blind and that's what I believe is the trade war. Um, it makes everything more expensive for everyone. No one, no one really wins. Well, I wonder if this was China, China blinking, right? Because he he took this stance and said, "Look, it's not really helping. We can increase more tariffs, but this isn't really helping anybody." And um, then Mike Pence doubled down and said, "We can continue pressing on these tariffs." So, I wonder if this, in the Mexican standoff that's going on, was China being the first to blink and suggest that actually they would like to put an end to this. Um, the, and then the US saying, well, actually, no, we're going to double down on that. It doesn't help us in getting to an end to it. Um, 
But we did always say, who's going to be the one to step down here? Is it going to be China, <clears throat> who are probably impacted more from an economic standpoint? Or is it going to be the US, which is all about Trump dropping his ego, right? Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. So we'll see how that plays out. But, um, and I don't think, I mean, there's, there was one on here we didn't even get onto. I mean, that, that, this in and of itself, right? The fact that we don't need to go back to it. But this in of itself, we missed one of the stories on here related to Brexit that Stephen Barclay is now the new Brexit secretary. Um, but that in of itself kind of speaks to it. Nobody knows who Stephen Barclay is. Um, I mean, they do, but not until now. He's, 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 this is a huge promotion for him. Somebody put on there, he's a very, very good listener um, and hard worker. Uh, so basically, Theresa May brought him in to say, I just need somebody who's not going to cause me any issues and going to sit down and shut up. Um, but... Just get on with it. So I think I think that pretty much wraps up. I mean, there was some news. Yeah, there was one about students getting hit by. Well, there was actually one that I just slipped on here that I saw yesterday. That students getting hit by a wave of fake emails for um, tax refunds. I just thought it was quite unique, right? Is that scammers are hitting the generation that are probably most susceptible to spotting fraud, but using the innovative manner of hitting the best place, i.e. a tax refunder. But what did, what did make sense to me is, why are you trying to hit the university generation? They've got no fucking money for you to steal, dude. Like... <laughs> they've got their loans, is not it? Yeah, they've got their loans, which were pretty much put to paying off their, their tuition fees, right? They've not got a general large amount of money for you to steal. I just thought, yeah, I just found it amusing, thinking there are probably better generations and demographics that you can pick out here. Yeah. All right, that's the end of the, that's the end of the stories. What have you read this week? Uh, I well, actually, I started listening to uh, Musashi because um, so it's basically a, a Japanese samurai novel. It's fifty three hours um, so far. Um, I've got twenty six hours left, <clears throat> um, and that's listening at three and a half times speed. Which Audible have now introduced the three and a half times speed, which is wicked. Um, first time I listened to it, I was like, can I listen to this? But stories and stuff, I can easily listen to it because I get, they're easier to track than um, some factual books. It's, I can't really because you lose some of the meaning. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm working my way through that at the moment and then um, just catching up on podcasts. Joe's had a couple of really good podcasts this week. The one with Ross Edgley about his swim around the UK, I really enjoyed. Um, not so much. I can't remember the other guy that he had in. He had the scientist guy in. Um, yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. And Joe wasn't happy with the fact that he kept making claims which he couldn't substantiate. Um, and which, then... Which the guy with the glasses? Yes. I thought, I thought Joe liked that one. No, I think, he was, I think he was fine with the conversation. I don't think he liked the fact that the guy kept making um, claims which he, were, he was basically making on a feeling rather than on stats. I don't think he didn't not enjoy the conversation, but I think he was. I, I think he just didn't agree with the fact that this guy kept making claims and he couldn't substantiate it with any factual evidence. I think, I think, I think, but I thought that that guy, um, when he was challenged, he actually backed down and said, Well, I just said, Why still not? Why yeah, not? he did, he did, but then he, but he repeatedly kept doing the same thing. He yeah. did then back down, but then I was like, If you're going to continually back down, then just stop taking the same stance. <laughs> Um, and then I don't know if you've because I think he only posted it yesterday, but the um, Eric Weinstein one. I, that's I, brilliant. I, I, no, you say he posted it yesterday. He actually, I actually, I was watching this because it was it went live on Friday, 
and they didn't post until Saturday. And I watched, I was listening to like bits of it, and I listened to the whole thing yesterday. Eric Weinstein is brilliant. I think he's, I think he's as brilliant as a Jordan Peterson. But what I like about Eric Weinstein is that it was that conversation. It's like, it's like three and a half hours. It's only four hours long. Yeah, it's three hours fifty, wasn't it? He covers so many different topics. Well, I, I don't even think you can compare the two because Jordan Peterson's good at what he does. I mean, Joe, they even covered, I mean, that talks about how many topics they covered, right? They covered it on there. But Joe made a good point that Jordan Peterson, he is fantastic at his ability to debate, but he only does it in one area. The thing about Eric Weinstein is he just knows so fucking much. Like, what the hell, dude? <laughs> He's a brilliant mind. He's a, br- it's not, like, you know, some people are just like, like wow, this guy's really intelligent. This guy is a brilliant mind. He knows so much about biology. He's a mathematician. He knows so much about quantum physics. He knows so much about physics. He's able to communicate stuff in a way where you don't. Some of it he lost me on a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff like the gauge system, the gauge symmetry, and stuff like that. Oh, the he gauge theory on... I got though. I thought that was relatively straightforward because no, Joe challenged Joe. Joe challenged for the. Um... Who we didn't? He's like Jamie. Did you get that? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, okay, explain it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what. That's the. That's the truth. That's, that's how. You, if you know something, yeah, you try to explain it. And I was, I was impressed with Jamie because every time you, you challenged him, most times Jamie was like, yeah, I could explain it, and then he, he was able to explain it in a sense which, which I could understand. Um, I thought Eric Weinstein amazing. I thought he's brilliant. I, 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 I like the challenge back and forth at the end in regards to, um. Like Eric Weinstein's things, well, let them have let let's, let's let them have their arguments and then see, let them fight. I yeah, I agreed with Joe on that one. I get what Eric Weinstein is trying to get to, but the platform on which they're making these arguments, I agree with Joe on this one. If you give them the wiggle room, you're you're opening the doors to hell, basically. Um, <laughs> but I get what Eric Weinstein is saying. But Eric Weinstein's argument only works if you're having it with somebody who is logical enough <clears throat> to put all of their contra- contradicting theories into a discussion and then realized, oh yeah, these all contradict each other. So he's making an assumption he would be speaking to people who have that level of intellect to be able to establish that for themselves. And and he's not. He would be speaking to people who would reach a point where they contradict themselves and then they would revert to just shouting and arguing because they don't lack, they, they lack the intellectual capacity that he's seeking. So I get where he's coming from, but I think unfortunately it's um, too much of an optimistic view that we're not quite at. I also like how Eric um, challenges Joe on Joe's Joe's perception of I'm a meathead, so I, I won't get it. And you're like, Joe, you're not a meat. You're one of the like. If Joe's one that Joe's very intelligent. That that comes across in, in all his podcasts. But someone that doesn't get stuff, like I think he's the lay person. He's like the normal person's guy to intellect intellectuals. But Joe, in himself, understanding theories and um, the way he can challenge people on things, he's highly intelligent. There's no way he can be. He's not. He's not a normal person. He's not the normal Joe. That the average Joe. That's a bit part of um, part of the pun. Well, he's not. He's not I, I I get what he's saying. I think he's. I think he's saying his capacity for easily learning and picking up new things. I don't think he's necessarily talking about his extent of knowledge because his extent of knowledge is is contributed to by all the people that he interviews. Right. I think he's talking more about. I mean, it's it's harder for him to pick up topics, but he gets the he can. I agree, he's not as much of a meathead he makes out to be. Um, but I I think what he's trying to say is actually until somebody tells me it, I, I don't know it. Um, and there's some of the stuff where he's going through. I mean, he's going through the conversations yesterday, and <laughs> there are a couple of things where Eric would say, would bring something up, and he's like, 
let me light that bitch up again because he's, he's obviously smoking at the time and he's like wait, wait, wait let, let me spark this up again <laughs> I just thought it was it was a really insightful one but it was really funny at points as well yeah it was one of my favourite episodes in a while actually yeah alright alright guys <laughs> hopefully next week we'll be in the same room together no we won't we won't we won't even be in the same time zone you'll be in America um, yeah, but we can still do it because I can just do it over anchor. But I will be calling in from Vegas. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully in, in, in four weeks' time, we're in a, in, um, after four weeks, we'll be in the same room together. But yeah, um, as always, if you can go on um, iTunes, I'm gonna find a way how to get from get our podcast from Anchor onto SoundCloud back again. But if you go onto um, iTunes and all other podcast apps and rate and subscribe with us, I'll be eternally grateful. Um, I hope you guys have a nice week. It's lights out from me. Ben's got anything else to add? No, no. Uh, lights out from me too. And yeah, have a good week, people. And I will catch you next week from Stateside. All right, guys. See you later. Cool. Peace. Bye.